Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at RoboGlobal.com slash HTEC. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are previewing the Pelicans' upcoming home game this Saturday night with the Rockets, and then I'll do a little uh, one-man recap on the Spurs right after. To do the preview, we've got with us host to Locked on Rockets, Mr. Ben DeBose. Thank you for joining us, sir. No problem, Preston. Glad to be back. Yeah, man, you've got to be thrilled with the way. Oh, I should uh, present you first. Of course, you guys can follow him at Ben DeBose, LockedOnRockets.com, as well as Sports Talk 790. I believe that's the official flagship radio station of the Houston Rockets. Is that right? Yes, sir. Appreciate the plot. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it, and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com slash xm. I just hope, uh, hope for my side of things, this goes a little bit better than the last time we talked, which was before uh, one of the only games the Rockets have lost all year with uh, Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella, that uh, thriller that went down to the wire in New Orleans in January. Yeah, definitely one of the greatest moments to be a Pelicans fan, uh, unless you want to trace back to 2008 with the Chris Paul, David West, Tyson Chandler. Uh, that was one of the greatest moments in our young franchise's history. The Pelicans came over here back in 2002-2003 season when they moved over from Charlotte. Very exciting. It's going to look very different this Saturday night. Uh, the Pelicans are desperate right now, and the Rockets are in a race with Golden State and Toronto for the best record in the NBA. I've got a question that I wanted to pose to you that I've been thinking about after listening to your podcast today. Of course, the Rockets wrapped up the Southwest Division for the sixth time. They've got 54 wins. They've never won more than 58 games just this year alone. They've got a four-game win streak. Then after the Pelicans beat them, it went to a 17-game win streak. And then the Raptors managed to defeat them 108-105. to And now they're on another three-game win streak with the Mavericks, the Spurs, and the Clippers. Now, understanding that uh, it's, it's, it's a long shot that the Rockets might win the, the title this year with the Golden State Warriors standing in their way, provided that Steph and Clay are about to come back. But just based on talent and level of production alone do you think this is the best team houston has ever had i think so absolutely and i know some would judge it by rings and to some extent i get it that's what this business is judged by but you know you, you talk about the warriors this year well people forget the first year the rockets won the title the seattle sonics were a team the rockets back then and of course the sonics led at the time by gary payton sean kemp they were an enormous matchup problem for Houston and 
the Sonics got shocked in the first round. Back then, the first round was best of five by Dikembe Mutombo's eighth-seeded Denver Nuggets. So sometimes it takes a little bit of luck, and as much as folks glamorize that 93-94 team, look, they won 58 games in the regular season. It's a good team, but it wasn't a, I would say, a thoroughly dominant historic team. It's one that, you know, credit to them, they played well when it really mattered in the playoffs. They also got a little bit of a break when the Sonics lost, so it's not to take anything away from them. But this year's team, if they finish, and they're at 54 um, wins now, with 14 games still left, assuming they finish in the low to mid-60s, to me it's by far the best team in franchise history, assuming there's nothing catastrophic in the playoffs. Now, if you lose to you know, a 7 or 8 seed in round 1 or you know, a 4 or 5 in round 2, something like that, then maybe you, you can revisit things then, kind of like when Dirk's Mavs lost to the 8th seeded Warriors back in, what was it, like 2007, 2008, whatever year they had 67 wins, the one seed and fell flat on their face. If something like that happens, then, yeah, you do kind of have to review everything. But if, in the scenario you're describing, basically they get all the way through the playoffs and lose a competitive six- or seven-game series to a loaded Warriors team, yeah, I, I still think that it's the best team in franchise history, even if, for some reason, they're not able to you know, get four out of seven from Golden State, which they at least have a chance to do. Would I say they're a favorite? I'm not sure, but there's a, a much greater shot than I would have thought even two or three months ago. And for Rockets fans, that's all you can really ask for, especially in this era of super teams. Now, it's an incredible thing to consider a franchise that's had most Malone, Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, Bar- Barkley, Tracy McGrady, and Yao Ming had that famous winning streak. And you're in a position right now where this might be the best team all of, of all of them. Like you said, you've got 14 more tries to win five more games. You're you're definitely probably going to pass that 60 win barrier. One thing that I do have to ask you, actually, there's there's a lot of things I have to ask you. I'll start with this one. <laughs> um Chris Paul, how much faith do you have in his health? It, it, it hasn't been uh, recently, dating back to his four seasons in Los Angeles, he wasn't quite able to have this, this long-term uh, good run of health. One of the reasons that the Rockets have been so successful this season is they haven't had the, the Clay Thompson-type injuries, the Steph Curry-type injuries, the boogie stuff, the Jimmy Butler stuff. You guys have remained relatively healthy. Do you think that luck ever runs out? Well, it's not that they've been completely healthy. I would say they've had a little bit of good fortune. They did miss Chris Paul for a month to start the year, way back in mid-October to mid-November with a bone bruise in his knee. They're probably a little overly cautious with that, given that he's 32 years old. But it happened at somewhat of a weaker point in the schedule, so they were able to manage it. And then James Harden, knock on wood, it's incredible how durable that guy is. Up, up until this year, he had never really had a major injury in you know, his five-plus years in Houston. And it seemed like New Year's Eve, you, a pretty obvious hamstring strain, he could barely walk. And they had diagnosed it as a grade two the day after. And a lot of Rockets fans at this time assumed that that's a four- to six-week type timetable. That's the average for a grade two in the NBA, especially for a guard that, that starts and stops on a dime like James does, and that you wouldn't see him until after the All-Star break. Well, what ended up happening is he came back somehow, only missed seven games, two-and-a-half weeks, and picked up an MVP form almost immediately, and has had no issues ever since. So I wouldn't say that they've been completely healthy with Chris because they did have the month absence very early in the year. But with James, I think you're right. I, I hope it continues, but Rockets fans do need to be more aware than they are, I think, of just how rare his durability is. And I think the Pelicans kind of the, unfortunately, the perfect foil in that 
both Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins, tremendous players, both over their careers, for whatever reason, have just not had the same luck with injuries as James had. And it can all be taken away from you very quickly, as you know, Pelicans fans know all too well. The last Rockets Pelicans game, when Boogie's Achilles went in the final minute of the game, what should have been, you know, this celebration moment, the Pelicans with a statement win against arguably the NBA's best team. And instead, you know, you have that somber note that it ends on because of the injury. So I would say with the Rockets, we're going on six years now. They've been incredibly lucky that they haven't even had many minor issues with James Harden. And it's been a big part of their success. And ultimately, is there such a thing as, you know, super durability? Maybe to some degree, but I think Rockets fans are definitely testing the limits of it with Harden and knock on wood this late in the year. You just have to hope it continues because if anybody gets hurt this time of year, there's not much time to get better uh, before the playoffs start. Now, I know the Pelicans wouldn't mind seeing Chris Paul off the floor for this one on Saturday, the way he played back on January 26 with 38 points, did such a wonderful job of destroying the Pelicans on his previous home floor. Let me uh, transition back to an important thing uh, I, I want to ask you. Of course, I know how sensitive Houston Rockets fans are right right now about the MVP race. James Harden had every right to take it home last year, didn't. And now there's there's a large upcry for Anthony Davis after DeMarcus Cousins went down, like you said, with that left Achilles in. Injury. Uh, Anthony Davis has, has kept the Pelicans afloat. They're currently, they're a six seed. They had that nice 10 game winning streak following that one and five start post boogie. And here are the numbers for you. Uh, James Harden is almost at 31 points a game on 45% from the field, 37.5% from three. He's also got almost nine assists and five rebounds. Anthony Davis, 28 points on 53%, 34.5 from three. And he's got 11.2 rebounds, two assists, and 8.5. Uh, sorry, that's the same thing. 8.5 defensive rebounds. I'm on NBA.com slash stats. Also 2.4 blocks where I think he's, I don't know, somewhere in the top five in league leaders. Explain why James Harden should be the MVP and why possibly he should have won it two years in a row. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting parallel because you can look at certainly when he finished second to Westbrook last year. I actually think the better parallel in terms of this Harden-Anthony Davis dynamic is actually go back three years ago. Remember when Harden finished second to Stephen Curry? And then, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, Harden won the players MVP that year. But the media vote traditionally viewed as the barometer went in uh, Steph Curry's favor. I think that's a little bit more of a comparable dynamic to this. I thought last year, quite simply, the argument for Harden this year and last year is very similar in that Harden's on the better team. It's stronger this year because what kind of cut against Harden and the team argument last year, while the Rockets were better than the Thunder, they were only the third-seeded team in the West. It wasn't like they were the best team in the league. So actually, when the Rockets made this argument of team success, you would see media members turn it around on Daryl Morey. I remember some of the ESPN guys doing this and saying, okay, well, if you want me to vote by team success, then I have to vote Kawhi Leonard over James Harden. So it got bogged down because while Harden was better than Westbrook, it wasn't like he was the prototypical best player on the best team guy, which more often than not throughout NBA history ends up taking home this award if the two players are close. And certainly James Harden and Anthony Davis, both phenomenal players, but ultimately that's why I think Harden gets it is because it's just the stereotype best player, best team, elevating a team to a contending level which fair or unfair, that's just the way that it's generally always been. Last year, partially an exception because the Rockets, while they were better than the Thunder, they weren't you know, in the top three or four in the NBA, let alone the best like they are now. And also, Westbrook had the eye-popping numbers of the triple-double, the narrative after losing Kevin Durant, 
leaving the poor small market franchise, yada, yada. So there were a lot of reasons why last year was an exception, whereas Anthony Davis, some phenomenal numbers, but there's nothing as historically eye-catching as the triple-double average. Not saying it necessarily should be, but it's pretty clear by now if you go by NBA Twitter and the talking heads, it is. I think the more appropriate parallel that I think you can come up with is Harden to Curry three years ago in that you could find a lot of advanced metrics that said that Harden did a little bit more from a workload standpoint than Curry did because his team was so good. And now you could, you could argue, especially after losing Boogie Cousins, that what's asked of Anthony Davis is even greater than what is asked of James Harden because James Harden had so much support. Chris Paul, the incredible depth that Gerald Morey has uh, put together in Houston, but it's just tough to beat out the win. So hopefully for Pelicans fans' sake, which you can take out of this analogy, it's you know, just the same way Harden built off of that year in which he finished second to Curry in MVP voting to where, if not for Westbrook's historical season last year, he would have won it then and appears poised almost a lot to win it this year. So I think if nothing else, you can use it as a springboard, a second-place finish to even you know, higher finishes in the years ahead. Yeah, you guys will definitely uh, have an argument to be made if for some reason he's not able to get it this year. Uh, very deserving three years straight. And it is a murky discussion to have. It's it's difficult to put your finger on what the award actually entails. Like you said, is right. it for the best player on the best team? Is it for the guy with the least amount of help? Kawhi Leonard was a favorite coming into the season just because with the way LaMarcus Aldridge produced last year, losing Tim Duncan, Tony Parker. Parker and Manu Ginobili coming off the bench. He, he basically is the team's only superstar. And that's what a lot, of, a lot of voters point to, is that one guy like Anthony Davis who has to carry a depleted team, a la Russell Westbrook last year. Does it go to the scoring leader? There's all this talk about like Gary Harris being one of the best two-way players. How much are we factoring defense into this conversation? So definitely on board with you, but uh, hoping that it goes to one of our two guys at the very least this year. James Harden is certainly very deserving, and uh, he definitely should get one in the next couple of years or so let's let's move on i want to talk about some of the rockets weaknesses like you said and like new orleans uh, pelicans reddit wrote on twitter with clint capella chris paul and james harden in the lineup you guys of course are 33 and 2 you're nearly unbeatable with those two losses coming just by two and three points a combined five to the pelicans with boogie cousins on january 26 on our home floor and to the toronto raptors and just last night against the clippers you guys were down by as much as 12 because the clippers uh they, they employed a full court press and it kind of took you guys off your rhythm. Talk about some other things that kind of upend the Rockets and, and kind of expose some of their weaknesses. Yeah, I think the main thing to watch right now, and of course the caveat, you're talking about weaknesses for a team that's 54 and 14 and has won 20 of their last 21 games. So it's all relative. But the thing to watch for the Rockets over the past couple of weeks, I don't think it's a major reason for alarm bells. I think it's probably just a little bit of randomness. But Chris Paul has not played especially well in the minutes that he's played with James Harden. Now, overall, his numbers are still there because he's been very good in the minutes that he's been kind of running the offense without James on the court. Also, there was the game in Dallas on Sunday that Harden sat out with a minor knee injury and or maintenance, depending on who you believe. Uh, and then Sunday against, or not Sunday, Monday against San Antonio, the day after they kind of limited Harden's minutes a little bit. Uh, the Rockets went through a stretch, just a hellacious run of five games and seven nights, uh, many of them on the road, including Milwaukee and Toronto. So there are a lot of tired legs. And so Paul's overall numbers, if you look at the past month, are fine. They're still really good, but he has not been, in my opinion, as in sync in the minutes when Harden has been out there with him and I you know I don't really know what to point the finger to for that because 
they've proven throughout this year that they can play very well together, including late in games. There was a stat after the Boston game they won a couple of weeks ago that in terms of clutch time performance, Houston with Paul and Harden had the best uh, clutch point differential. I think that's defined as, you know, within five points in the last five minutes, something like that. And the Rockets with Paul and Harden, despite playing the fewest clutch minutes, had the biggest positive differential. So it's, you know, it's probably just a short-term blip. It's not like there's any reason to believe, oh, these guys aren't playing well together. It's just, you know, like anything, you go through hot stretches and down stretches. And I think right now, Chris is just trying to feel himself out. I think the full court press a little bit kind of rattled is too strong a word, but I thought especially he kind of got into bickering with the officials, I thought, in the Clippers game. But for whatever reason, he wasn't dialed in. So that's the thing to watch, I would say, is how Chris Paul plays with James Harden. And if you're able to press him, maybe that gets him into another game. Because when you look at the Clippers box score, why they only won by five, well, the biggest underachiever besides, you know, they didn't make shots well as a team, but Chris was three of 13 for 11 points was like a minus 10 in his 25, 30 minutes, whatever it was. And that's just not good enough for a superstar. And I think it'll come around, but it's the thing to watch. The other thing with the Rockets to keep in mind in this Saturday game against the Pelicans, it looks like that's going to be the return of Ryan Anderson. He's missed the past. I know that's a fun name for all Pelicans fans, former New Orleans guy. He's missed the past couple of weeks with a, with a hip flexor. It looks like he's only going to play about 10 to 15 minutes. They're trying to ease him back in it's really funny when it happens they about a month ago and we can talk about this more in a moment because it ties back into that game in january but ryan anderson when they moved him to a bench role they they did it when he missed a few games with a minor injury they put pj tucker into the starting lineup which a lot of folks expected by the playoffs anyway just for more defense so you put anderson into a more 20 minutes per game role, not playing 30 minutes per game anymore as a starter. And those first few games, oh my God, you should have seen his athleticism. He had a poster dunk on Alex Lenny, He had a couple of pirouette moves against Denver. Things that you wouldn't have seen since maybe his first year or two in New Orleans or even the Orlando days, just crazy flashbacks. Well, what ended up happening after he did that, he ended up with a hip flexor. Uh, not sure if it's related, but I wouldn't say it's entirely not related. So he's going to be coming back tomorrow. Anyway, to tie back into the Chris Paul theme, uh, Chris and Ryan Anderson, if there's one guy that benefits most from Ryan Anderson's presence, it's Chris Paul because you can just see what the spacing does for him. Chris Paul at 32, he's not as quick as he's been throughout his NBA career. So I think having a guy like Ryan Anderson who commands respect out to you know, 27, 28 feet, that extra spacing does wonders for Chris. And so maybe this little downturn we're talking about the last two or three weeks from Chris Paul is correlated in that it's pretty much the exact time frame that Ryan Anderson's been out. So it's not like he's going to play a ton tomorrow. From the Rockets' standpoint, that's kind of a, a subtle under-the-radar thing to look at. Does Ryan Anderson's return help out Chris Paul a little bit to become a better offensive player? Very interesting because, uh, like I said, against the Pelicans, Chris Paul was so effective. The Pelicans focused a lot of their attention on James Harden and really limited him. Uh, he still had somewhere around 24 points, albeit on 5 of 16 shooting. Uh, Drew Holiday is going to be matched up uh, on him with all likelihood, which is going to give the green light to Chris Paul to pretty much do whatever he wants to do. And the fact that he has been struggling lately will definitely be a boon for the for the Pelicans. Hopefully, uh, Ryan Anderson's insertion into the lineup doesn't put those numbers back up. I was listening to your podcast earlier today. And some other players you mentioned as uh, sort of regressing at this point of the season. One was Clint Capella. And also you mentioned that Joe Johnson's only played 10 games with the Rockets now. And he is set to get some minutes. And he has not been shooting well with the Rockets this year. What are you expecting out of those two players? Well, the good news with Clint, I think what's happened with him, he played in February 
the most minutes per game of his career, over 30, the first time he had broken that. And the story with Clint, they've been trying to slowly build up his stamina because it's a delicate balance with any young player. You do want to, of course, build size, build stamina, but you don't want to do it so quickly that you do it that you compromise their athleticism, what makes them special in the first place. So with Clint, it's been a slow and steady growth through the first three years. Now he's in year four, and he seems to, well, certainly all season long, it's been a breakout year for him, and he's going to get paid richly this summer. I wouldn't say it's been a disappointing March because they've only lost one game, and the one game they lost in Toronto, he got 13-13 and 13 against Jonas Valanciunas. So let's not act like that he played poorly. But just from month to month, he played 30 minutes plus per game in February, the first time he's played over 30 minutes per game in a month in his career. And this month so far, he's down to, I think, like basically 10 and 10, 9.7 and 9.7, which is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. He was actually huge Thursday against DeAndre Jordan, ended up with 19 points, 12 rebounds, a career high, six blocks. He's the biggest reason why they won. But I would say when you've had all these games in the compressed time frame of late, I would say more than any other position, it takes a toll on your bigs. I think Pelicans fans are especially aware of that, given the workload that Boogie Cousins went through before his injury. And I know that's been speculated on ad nauseum. But certainly there's been a higher workload, nowhere near the Boogie extent for Clint Capella. But I think it's just something to watch. Now he is going to have a day off before this game, the same way he had a couple of days off before that great game he had last night against DeAndre Jordan. So I think that's one thing that uh, sort of bodes well for him. As far as Joe Johnson, a lot of Rockets fans are disappointed he was a buyout candidate, and it's one of those things, he's fit in well, you can tell he's comfortable with the offense, he knows it because he played for Mike D'Antoni all those years ago in Phoenix, he passes the ball well, he does a lot of things well, and he's just not making shots, he's doing, quite frankly, the hardest parts of the game, he's just missing the open shots, he's below 30% from three um, in his 10 games with Houston, and that's the interesting thing for the Rockets long term. When they acquired Joe Johnson, the thought was actually that by the playoffs, he could bump Ryan Anderson out of the rotation. And that both at this point, at this point in Joe's career at 36 years old, he's a small ball four only. He's not nearly athletic enough to play the wing. So on paper, you can say, well, this guy can shoot really well, just like Ryan Anderson, but he's more athletic, can make, can create his own shots one-on-one, yada, yada. Well, for that to be true, he's got to shoot at a high enough level for not saying he has to shoot as well as Ryan Anderson, but at least make enough to where the margin's small enough that his superiority in other aspects of the game can win out. With him shooting below 30%, it's Ryan Anderson that's probably going to take those minutes. So that's sort of the storyline, I would say, starting tomorrow, but the rest of the way, there's probably not enough minutes for both of those guys to, to consistently play. I don't want to say the other will never play. Probably enough minutes for both to consistently play 15-plus minutes per game roll. So who's going to get that? I think the Rockets, because Joe has shot so poorly, they're excited to get Ryan back. And I'm also, quite frankly, intrigued to see what Ryan Anderson does in a bench role. We saw him for a couple of games. He looked really good before, ultimately, he went out with his hip issue. Because the last time the, the Pelicans saw the Rockets, Ryan was a starter. And the story of that game, Preston, the Rockets were like minus 20 in the 20 minutes or so that Ryan Anderson played. I think they were like plus 17 in the minutes that Luke Mute played off the bench. But the story, you just weren't able to make up for the minutes you lost with Ryan Anderson out there. And especially when the Pelicans had both uh, Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis, there was just no one for Ryan to guard. Well, the hope, the reason the Rockets made this lineup switch with P.J. Tucker at the four and Ryan coming off the bench, is that if Ryan comes off the bench, you're shortening the minutes for him. So maybe he's able to, you know, 
be a little more springy, commit more on a 20, you know, give 100% to 20 minutes as opposed to having to pace yourself for 30. And the other thing, you bring them off the bench, you're more often than not going up against the other team's second stringers as opposed to the front line. So I'm intrigued to see what Ryan Anderson can do in a bench role if you're not asking him to go up against starting frontline players. Because as I'm sure you remember, that was the role that the Pelicans had for him in New Orleans. And I think in large part it was because, given his athletic limitations, that's the best way you can mitigate his weaknesses defensively. So I think that's the thing to watch for the Rockets is how Ryan Anderson plays in that new role and also whether he supplants Joe Johnson. Because I think the, I think the Rockets, when they got Joe Johnson, thought that maybe he would be taking the role of Ryan Anderson or at least had a shot. But so far, it just hasn't worked out that way. He's, you know, not, not that he doesn't look comfortable. He's just missing open looks. And at some point, those have to go down. And if they don't, the Rockets have to move on. You were spot on in your assessment of Ryan Anderson's play. He was 0 for 3 on the night, negative 20 in just 14 minutes. Uh, and like you said, Luke Mabamute was a positive 17 in 24 minutes. Uh, it, there's an interesting gif uh, or meme, I guess you would call it, on Twitter of two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. And uh, Ryan Anderson and Nikola Miritich frame each other pretty nicely at this point, <laughs> as Miritich has also been struggling uh, on the offensive end of the floor, although he's been doing the things that need to be done defensively and he's been rebounding he had 10 just last night he now is a starting four with the pelicans with okafer moving into the bench in some instances and this could be one of those instances where okafer is taken off of the floor and he's been playing awfully well for the pelicans but that puts anthony davis against clint capella and then uh nicola meritich you'd have to say against pj tucker uh and i was going to ask you about trevor reza and pj tucker obviously these guys are shooting well for three they're both around 37 percent. they have not been shooting well from the field overall and the pelicans do a pretty good job against the Rockets are as good a job as you can do of scaring them off the three-point line. The last time they faced them, they I, I limited, I get is a funny way to put it, the Rockets to just 36 three-point attempts. How capable do you think P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza are going to be in this matchup if the Pelicans are able to take away those looks from them? Yeah, it's interesting because both of those guys have shot, had shot very well recently until Thursday night. They would have combined three of 17, I think. So they don't they certainly don't come into the game uh, with a ton of rhythm, but at the same time, it's just it's just one game. They had been shooting very well before that. I think what the Rockets hope the difference will be Saturday compared to that prior matchup. That prior matchup in January, you mentioned earlier in the show that Harden was just 5 of 16. That was when Harden was coming off the, the hamstring injury, and his burst was not all the way there. So rather than drive, you saw him take a lot of threes. It wasn't like he had that extra gear to kick it into. So when you see teams that try and chase them off the line, what you have to do is kind of similar to the Toronto game on, what was it, last Friday. Yeah, we could go today, the, the one they lost, in which the, Rock, uh, the, the Raptors, excuse me, they, they did chase the Rockets off the line pretty well. The flip side is Harden scored 40 points on 15 of 22 shooting. They made them pay, and ultimately what won the game for Toronto, in my opinion, it was less, you know, not that the defense was bad by any stretch, but honestly, the Rockets would have won that game if not for some tired legs and Kyle Lowry shooting like seven of nine from three, something just ridiculously unsustainable. And to get back to, you know, the point of the defense, when other teams chase the Rockets off the line like that, when they stick to the shooters, what it comes down to is that puts an impetus on James Harden to make plays one-on-one, because if they're sticking to the shooters like that, they're not giving as much help on the drive. So it's a matter of how springy is James Harden. He wasn't um, that last Pelicans game. 
the Rockets hope that he does have more lift this time. And it's also going to be a challenge show. You mentioned Drew Holiday earlier. How well can you hold up one-on-one? Because that equation, you know, yes, if you, if you take away the threes from guys like Trevor Reza and P.J. Tucker, they're not going to shoot that much. Now, Reza does have some driving ability, not a ton, but he's got some. But by and large, if you take away the threes, those guys aren't going to shoot that much. So it just comes down to how well your guards can hold up in isolation against James Harden, because that's what that strategy is going to do, is it's going to, it's going to put more pressure on James Harden to make plays one-on-one. And it's just going to be a combination of, you know, we mentioned the last game. I don't think his springs were all the way there. And then the other thing is just, quite frankly, how well guys like Drew Holiday defend him and how much energy the Pelicans have. And, you know, the Pelicans do have a pretty decent collection of long wing players. So that gives you hope. I think probably the best strategy is to, you know, throw a different, a bunch of different bodies at Harden so that everybody has fresh legs. And then at that point, just hope for the best. And ever the professional, no distraction holds you down, regardless of what kind of noise I'm making on my end. So thank you, sir, for your time. If you wouldn't mind, just give us a quick prediction on uh, what do you think is going to happen the night before you're back-to-back with the Timberwolves. Yeah, I'm going to say that – I'm going to say the Rockets win this one by five. I think they would like to get redemption. I think they looked <laughs> – they hated until that game against Toronto that that stuck out like an eyesore. The only game they had lost was the big three. So I think the Rockets would like – to get some measure of redemption. All I'm going to keep an eye on, in fairness to people listening, we're taping this late Friday evening. Let's wait and see what happens with the Warriors on uh, tonight's game. It's a late game in Sacramento. We know they're without Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. We also heard now they're without Kevin Durant. If the Warriors lose that game, that would essentially put them four games back with 14 to play. I'm not saying that the Rockets would tank it, they would that's not really in their dna but they are going to be aware tomorrow night that it's it's basically the start of a brutal three-game road trip three games in four nights at new orleans in a long plane flight at minnesota on sunday then across the country at portland on tuesday so if the warriors were to lose that game tonight effectively giving the rockets a four-game cushion in the loss column if for whatever reason the pelicans get up early in the game if there's a hot stretch I'm not saying the Rockets would just pull their regulars, but you might not have the same sense of urgency from them. So for Pelicans fans, you know, wanting to kind of maximize your margins, I would say watch that Golden State-Sacramento game tonight. If Sacramento gets that win, then I think that might just a hair give a little bit less motivation to the Rockets tomorrow. And so, too, if the Rockets are able to get up early, you might see the same thing from the Pelicans, who have five games in the next six days following their contest with you guys. They've got a back-to-back with Boston. Then following that, they've got the unprecedented three games in three days, all home games. They have five home games in a row with you guys, the Celtics, and then those three matchups. So, uh, Oh, that's right, because it's the makeup, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Pacers' makeup whenever they had a That's leak right. through the That's ceiling right. back in early oh, February. Uh, incredibly yeah. embarrassing to the franchise, but uh, we've got a chance to rectify it now. Uh, but like I said, if, if you guys get up by 20 in the first half, it, it might be all she wrote. They might uh, shut our guys down and, and rest them, and you guys can walk away with an easy one. Thank you so much. This is Ben DeBose, of course. You can follow him at Locked on Rockets. He is the podcast host, as well as featured on Sports Talk 790, the official flagship of the Houston Rockets. Ben, where can our listeners best up? follow you and your work in advance of tonight's game best places on twitter i'm at ben dubose or locked on rockets where you can visit us easiest place is www.lockedonrockets.com you can find a podcast written stories anything that i write about the houston rockets or record you'll all find it at that locked on rockets website all right thank you so much ben 
Thank you one more time to Ben DeBose. Now we're back with my best attempt at a one-man talk show. Before we proceed, uh, Alan Michael has a show on 103.7 in Lafayette that I was featured on this morning. So make sure to check that out on Twitter. Right now, we will be recapping the Spurs. I'll be doing this by myself. Ollie and Kevin are out. They are both working. So I'm going to try to one-man pilot this ship. Uh, this was a game that the Pelicans trailed by as much as 15, 54 to 39, reminiscent of that game two weeks ago of February 28th, where the Pelicans also trailed in the first half by that number. They ended up losing 98 to 93. And there's a lot of different factors that went into this one. I know we gave a, a lot of public shame, uh, we should say, to Rajon Rondo. No discredit to him. Uh, we're a big fan of his game. Just have to find the, the best way to utilize him at this state in his career. He's 32 years old. And he just has trouble with the speed and the athleticism and the length, so to speak, of the San Antonio Spurs. So with that being said, some of the other factors that, that played an instrumental part in the Pelicans' loss. Uh, scoring, they're playing the Spurs the best defense in the NBA. They like to slow things down, uh, 28th in pace. So they kind of dictated the pace that the Pelicans played at for much of the game. The Pelicans were held to just seven points the first six minutes of the third quarter. And to go back to Rondo, like we were saying, with him off the floor, the Pelicans actually managed really well. They went on initial runs of 8, 10, 8, and 7. But that's not to say that he was the only factor in this. There were a lot of other factors. In the first quarter alone, the Pelicans had some trouble with effort, as we saw DeJounte Murray getting two offensive rebounds surrounded by four Pels. This guy who's six foot five is able to somehow outleap every member of the Pelicans defense and get easy buckets. There were a lot of that early on. The Pelicans were out rebounded in the first quarter 16 to seven. However, they bounced back quite nicely. Like we said, they had it uh, tied up to 23 at half. Uh, that same margin, a lot of rebounds in this one because there wasn't a lot of shooting uh, to be frank. 40% from the floor for the Pelicans, 37% for the Spurs. A lot of factors to go into that, and, and we're going to get into substitutions and that sort of thing. Uh, Okafor didn't start, obviously. We have a lot of finger-pointing at Alvin Gentry after this one because he had some some questionable substitutions. Uh, a lot of the conversation goes back to, you know, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. Does one of them have to be on the floor at all times? Do you stagger them? Is that something that you do, or do you want to have them both on the floor at the same time to utilize their powers combined? Uh so, so to speak, so it was an experiment, not something that particularly paid off very well in this one. But with that being said, the Pelicans still had a chance at the end. Some other rotational errors that we noticed, I noticed Jake and I both uh, noticed this at the end of the game, whenever Patty Mills was taking those free throw attempts to potentially seal this one. And Alvin Gentry substituted Emeka Okafor by mistake before the second free throw when we all were well aware that the Pelicans were going to take a timeout at that point anyway in order to advance and get a better looking shot. But he mistakenly put Ian Clark in there. Uh, of course, Patty Mills missed it and the Pelicans ended up getting it anyway and it didn't cost them anything and voila, they called a timeout. So it was another mistake, just a bunch of stuff like that. You can point some fingers at some of the rotations and stuff. Check Diallo not getting any time. Uh, of course, he got his second DNP since January. January 28th. He's gotten second in a, uh, his second one in a row, uh, the last one being at the Hornets, and it's kind of an interesting situation because you have seen the Pelicans give him more time, give him more faith, give him more opportunities, and in most instances, he's paid them off handsomely. In those times, he has played well. And this was an interesting one because we talked about it with David Grubb and with Ali. The Pelicans were going to need energy in this one. They were going to need that second jump because we both knew that there was going to be a lot of misses in this one. Like I said, 40% 37%, a lot of opportunities for rebounds, a lot of opportunities for second chance points. Both teams combined for 27 offensive rebounds in this one. And that one's just the nature of the beast. When you're 
missing shots. There's more rebounds available. And it ended up being 60 to 59. So it was very even, although the Pelicans were outpaced early. But that brings up another question. Emeka Okafor, the Pelicans have played really well with him in the starting lineup. And rather than going out there with those two towers as they did all season long with Boogie, they they let the Spurs dictate what they were going to do. And they inserted Nikola Miritich, who has been playing well in on some areas of the floor, but offensively shot just three for 12, uh, had that famous communication error, and we're going to get to uh, execution at the end of the game. Uh, but everybody knows at this point that Alvin Gentry had the comment post-game that that look was supposed to be for Drew Holiday. There was a miscommunication, and Nikola Meritich just ran to the corner, got the ball there, and, and the rest is history. Some other elements, turnovers, the Pelicans, since Boogie went down, have been averaging just 13.2, 16 in this one, and uh, a turnover, a live ball turnover, I should say, against San Antonio with their speed and their passing and their smarts with Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, all these guys, that, that usually translates to an easy bucket. With that being said, the Pelicans got 27 fast break points uh, and they led in that aspect of this game. Another crucial element to this one, Manu Ginobili drawing two fouls on Anthony Davis, the 16-year veteran. Very smart. It's 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 hard to get upset with him. Uh, the officials, he baited them and they took it. And Anthony Davis, of course, got a technical. Alvin Gentry got a technical and those two points prove critical, much like Greg Popovich's two technicals two weeks ago that ended up being the deciding points in the Pelicans' four-point victory. So eerily reminiscent, a very similar instance in this matchup with the tie just going against the Pelicans. Um, let's see, fouls. That one played another uh, big factor in this one. The, the referees were holding their whistles, as Joel Myers likes to say. The officials must have had dinner plans because the two teams average 43 fouls uh, per game, and there was only 25 called in this one. And the Pelicans, that's that's another conversation that we can have. The Pelicans have not been getting the benefit of the whistle recently, uh, just the Hornets and this game specifically. The Pelicans went 45 game minutes with just two foul shots. And the Pelicans don't lead the league in foul shots necessarily. That would be the Rockets. But they average 20. It's it's a it's a pretty reputable number and two just being a, a, a dramatic difference from that um, they ended up getting I think as many as fourteen in the game I don't have that number in front of me but lastly failed execution we talked about Nikola Meritich but it wasn't just him Darius Miller of course has has been lacking in confidence as of late and it was something that we were afraid would happen with Boogie out of the lineup the floor hasn't been spaced uh, quite as well as he would like and he has been hesitant to take those mid-range jumpers especially when there's anyone in the area he instead looks for the pass and on one of the last three possessions of course we've got Etuan Moore charging into traffic and another one we've got Darius Miller doing this famous thing where he has an open look he hesitates. He usually gets dishes the ball, but in this instance, he collected it and then went back up with it. And of course, you know the result on that one. And then, like we said, Nikola Meritich, his foot on the line, it wouldn't have been a three, even if it went, but it went off the backboard. Just uh, a play that just broke apart in an instance where the Pelicans couldn't take another timeout. They'd already taken one. Etuan Moore inbounded it. And like we said, a lot of failed execution at the end there. And uh, one of the bigger storylines in this one, just based on dramatic effect, of course, the fouling out of Anthony Davis, who collected his fifth foul with 555. And at that point, the Spurs as a team only had 12 fouls. And of course, he ended up getting his sixth one with the Pelicans just down by one point with 151 remaining. And it's hard to know what could have happened if those final two minutes had been laid out. If the Pelicans were able to have their full resource of talent on the floor, could they have pulled that one out? We saw offensively, they just fell apart in those instances. You have to think Anthony Davis is able to manage, if nothing else, maybe a trip to the foul line, or though he wasn't getting the benefit of those whistles, he could have been able to have something happen, but 
With that being said, the Spurs have been mugging him all game long, getting away with holds, getting away with physical play. You could see how frustrated he was getting. You could see how frustrated we were getting just looking on Twitter. But with all of this being said, I know it's been super negative. The positive to draw away from was everything that was going against the Pelicans, whether it be, you know, the officiating, whether it be, you know, the failed execution, whether it be Rajon Rondo, whether it be the changing lineup or the rotations, the Pelicans still had a chance on the road against a desperate San Antonio Spurs team with the best head coach in the NBA, 24-8 and eight at home, needed this one, and the Pelicans still could have walked away with it. So while every loss, I'm not trying to hype up a loss, you know, every, every loss and win are created equally, of course, and the Pelicans needed this one as much as they did. The Pelicans are still in a good spot, and while they've got a... <laughs> brutal schedule coming up with, of course, three home games in three days and five games in six days with the Rockets and the, I'm losing my train of thought, the Celtics preceding those three games. There's a good opportunity for the Pelicans to go four and one with the Pacers being the other most difficult matchup uh, other than the Rockets and the Celtics. The Celtics are depleted and the Pelicans are still in a very good position. All that they have to do at this point is secure that six seed and a matchup with the Portland Trailblazers who are now four games ahead of everybody else in that very close race, three through ten. So if the Pelicans can manage to do that, manage to win four out of the next five and just survive this ghastly schedule that's going to take them through April and 11th, I have to say they're still in a very good spot. So this one hurts, but you got to walk away from it. You got to take the good as well as the bad and just look forward to this matchup with the Rockets. Thanks so much to Ben for his two cents on that. There is there is a chance that the Pelicans do play these guys well, do charge out to an early lead, and maybe that does scare the Rockets off the floor. Chris Paul, like he said, has been struggling. Clint Capella, like he said, has been regressing. Trevor Reese and P.J. Tucker have not been shooting well as of late. There is a formula here for a Pelican shocker. The Pelicans will be carrying the weight of that boogie game January 26th. They're going to come out, and they're going to want this victory. Uh, it's going to be loud. It's a Friday night. I have to assume it's going to be sold out. A lot of people are going to want to see James Harden and Chris Paul and this I don't know what the record is at this point, 36-2 and two Houston Rockets with those three on the floor with Clint Capella. Uh, a lot of people should want to see this game. So hopefully the, the guys come out in masses. Hopefully New Orleans really gets hyped up. And hopefully the Pelicans can steal this one. And the magic can still continue at this point. There's still a very good chance that the Pelicans could even lock up a home seed at this point. But they've got to start winning these tough games. And they've got to do it without a lot of rest. Some other notes. Drew Holiday had three dunks in this game. 28 on the season. His previous career high was 21. This young man is aggressive, and he is playing better and better all the time. For as good as Anthony Davis was last night, you could say Drew Holiday was just as critical, just as important to the team. Uh, just wasn't man wasn't able to manage to pull it off on his own at the end there, as that inbound play uh, failed so dramatically. Uh, like we said, we've got the Rockets and the Celtics coming up on Saturday and Sunday, followed by the Mavs, the Pacers, and the Lakers. Uh, it's going to be difficult. The Lakers have been playing well. The Mavs should be the lone easy victory there. The Pacers, of course, I think are the three seed right now in the East. They've been playing fantastic basketball, but the last time we matched up with them, the Pelicans were able to escape with Drew Holiday, really limiting Victor Oladipo. It'll be interesting to see if he can do that again. One last thing to note before I let you guys go. Of course, uh, we want to give our condolences to the Pelicans organization and to the Benson family specifically. I don't have a lot to add as everybody has put this much more eloquently than I ever could, uh, specifically Jen Hale last night on the telecast, but I did want to share uh, one of my own personal memories. Um, 
as a young boy, I think I was probably nine or ten. Uh, it was probably somewhere around the the nineteen ninety six ninety seven season uh, when the when the Saints were a dreadful watch. Uh, one of those, you know. 3-13 and 13 to 6-10 and 10 type seasons. I think it was before the Mike Dicka era, although it could have been his first season. But I approached Tom Benson. I met him at a restaurant. It was my birthday. My parents were taking me out. And so to speak, I was feeling myself. I was feeling confident. I was a diehard Saints fan. I didn't care if they lost. I wanted to go to every game. I wanted to watch every game. And I, I really sincerely believed every week that I watched them that they had a chance to win. But that's how young and naive I was at the time. And I approached Tom and I told him what a fan I was. And I told him how much I love the Saints and how much they meant to me and how excited I got every Sunday and uh, how dramatically it, it affected my emotional well-being whenever they lost. And um, I don't know if he was just trying to get rid of me or if he was touched by my uh, emotional introduction, but he pulled four front row tickets on the 50-yard line to that Sunday's game out of his coat pocket and he handed it to me. And man, was I over the moon on my birthday. I must have mentioned it was my birthday for him to do something so kind-hearted. But I just wanted to say how what a wonderful that effect that had on me, not just the experience of going to the game, but just, just seeing the kindness from somebody that I revered, that I respected, that I looked up to, some someone who was associated with something that drove such passion in me, and how kind-hearted he was to a small little boy who could have been, you know, interrupting him at a family dinner. He still took the time to sign the little piece of paper that I had managed to find uh, for him, and I just wanted to say that, that was an important moment to me at that moment in my life. And I, I do hope that he finds um, rest and that his family does the best that they can at this, what must be a very difficult time. I know that a lot of people are going to be pounding into your feeds that the, the, the Saints and the Pelicans are in a upheaval and that they're going to go to Seattle or they're going to go to Las Vegas at that point. Just try your best not to pay any attention to any of that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where people need to fight hard to get attention. And we all do it. We all... Uh, participate it in some point or other, you know, you, you post a headline and you hope that it draws a lot of attention. You hope that it gets a lot of clicks. And in an ever-growing market of, of desperation, where we saw just last night, the Denver Post lost 30 jobs, 30 layoffs. I think it's something like half of their workforce because there is so much work out there for media that is unpaid like us at SB Nation and, and like the guys at Fanside. And there's so many different opportunities for voices to be heard. It becomes harder and harder for your voice to be heard, if that makes any sense. So try not to pay any attention to it. Uh, I think the Pelicans and the Saints are in very good hands, capable hands with Gail. Everybody seems to respect her. Everybody's saying glowing things about her. And I think that's a pretty good indicator that going forward, there is nothing to worry about. Okay, this has been my first attempt at uh, a one-man solo pod without Ollie and Kevin. I hope I haven't bored you guys to death. God knows what I actually talked about and whether I uh, kept a good train of thought and kept afloat. Uh, it, hopefully it won't happen too many more times between now and Monday when we will hopefully have those guys back on. On. And maybe we will be recapping a very successful weekend with two successive wins over the Rockets and the Celtics. I will say that I was not confident going into that Spurs matchup. I am more confident, uh, surprisingly, going into this matchup against the Rockets and the Celtics. As you just heard, James Harden was suffering from his hamstring. With that being said... Drew Holiday did a very good job of matching up with him, keeping him out of the paint, keeping him uh, from getting where he likes to get underneath the basket. And Chris Paul hasn't been playing well as of late. There is a recipe here if Meritish can bounce back, if Darius Miller can score 20 points as he did back in January. I know that's asking a lot. If Emeka Okafor can play well, we know what we're going to get from Drew and Anthony. 
there is a recipe here for an upset. And frankly, the Houston Rockets are due because like you just heard, they won 20 out of 21. So what better team to do it than the New Orleans Pelicans? And what a story that will be if it should come to pass. We already know that they're going to play that DeMarcus Cousins video over and over and over again on the telecast. So prepare yourselves now. Uh, I'll have a preview on this one up probably late tonight. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Again, if you made it this far, First of all, thank you. Uh, if you've been listening to me ramble for, I don't know, probably 20 minutes at this point, thank you for still being here. Thank you for your support. It means so much. If you have any more time and you'd like to get dedicated to us, please go on iTunes. Please give us a five-star review. Open your Apple Podcasts app. You can do the same thing there. Tell your friends. Open up their phones. Make them do it or even do it for them. Anyway, thank you guys again. Back on Monday with Ali and Kevin. Thank you to Ben. And hey, let's go pals. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless, and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly, because Metro has two lines for 80 and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free, plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Geico presents Yikes. Another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.